Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Sonny Laguna is a Sweden-based director who began directing a number of very low-budget films costing between five dollars and $10,000 with his co-director, Tommy Wickland. He eventually got on the radar of S. Craig Zoller, the director of Bone Tomahawk and Brawl in Cell Block 99, who was at the time writing Puppet Master The Littlest Reich. Zoller and the team at Fangoria were so impressed with Sonny and Tommy's resourcefulness as low-budget filmmakers that they handed them directorial duties on Puppet Master The Littlest Reich. We spoke to Sonny about his career history, his first few films, Puppet Master, which I particularly loved, and his advice for aspiring horror filmmakers. All of this and so much more on this week's episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Now, without further ado, here's Sonny Laguna, director of Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. Yeah, would love to talk about um, your overall early career. I know that you, you and Tommy started with really low-budget movies, and then, from what I understand, how Puppet Master came about was Craig Zoller saw some of your early movies, yeah. and then and then put you in touch with uh, Fangoria and Cinestate and Dallas, and then now we have Puppet Master. But uh, yeah, would love to go back to the original movies that you guys had worked on. Absolutely. And uh, could you talk about how those came about and how you were able to fund them and how you were able to get them out? Okay. Yeah. Sure. So, so. Uh... Me, Tommy, and another guy, uh, David, were like a trio of filmmakers from a very small town outside of Stockholm. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, it's that classic tale of uh, starting to make you short films on VHS at the age of 15. Uh, and at the time, I don't think we knew that we wanted to do this for real. It was just a matter of, you know, like, let's be creative. Let's do some fun things together. Uh, yeah, and then that you know uh, start to spread with the you know digital uh, means of uh, you know all the tools available, uh, and uh, everything became cheaper and cheaper year after year. And by the time we were like twenty three, twenty four, we felt like okay, we really need to do something. We really need to do a feature film, um, and uh, we had you know, given up some early attempts when we were like 20. So we're talking around 2004. Uh, but mm-hmm. all, all those attempts really sucked. I mean, they, they were horrible. Uh, uh, and they never went anywhere. Uh, so there was a lot of trial and error. And But by the time, uh, I think it was in 2008, we said like, okay, let's, what can we do that um, we can do on basically a no budget? Uh, Mm-hmm. And and we came up with this idea uh, that ended up being Madness, our first real feature film. Um, and we said like, okay, Tommy and David can play the villains, and another one of our you know childhood friends, where they can play the parts for free. And uh, we basically just scraped together what we have, so we, what we had. So we, we had like ten thousand dollars. Uh, to shoot it mm-hmm. and you know we, we we didn't have much else to do in our spare time so we could just you know bomb away uh, you know night after night uh weekend after weekend uh so in less than a year i think we we were uh, we completed the film and i think uh 
what makes us a little bit special is that uh, we're very lucky to have, you know, a, a three three part team where we are all very different. Mm. So me, I'm the digital effects guy. I, I love to make, you know, early on, uh, I love to make 3D effects and composition in After Effects and, you know, uh, just reading up online tutorials. Uh, but the other, yeah. but Tom and David were more, you know, props focused, uh, wanted to do things on camera. And uh, we started to mm -hmm. think like, okay, how can we put these together? Uh, so we were really bad. I think we we're really bad storytellers, but we were very good <laughs> at putting together scene by scene, sort of. Right. So um, that's when that came to be. And after Madness, we felt like, okay, we sold it to three countries, uh, the US, uh, France and Germany pretty quickly. Oh, wow. So uh, uh, through our French uh, connection, we just, I think we just found him online. Uh, so, wow. Yeah. A fr he was a, fr a French connection? Yeah, he say? was a, a sales agent from a French, uh, David Chaliva. Oh, all right. Um, okay. So when we first we first got it sold to the U.S. actually and got our money back and then some. From that point on, we were like, you know, we became really hungry to like, okay, maybe this can actually work out. You know, like we can just work work with yeah. this uh, full time. Where did your um, sales agent distribute the movie? Because w when this must have been like two thousand. It was two thousand nine. Seven or eight. Yeah, it was two thousand nine. Where. Okay. Uh, he brought the movie to Cannes, you know, the film market there. And I oh, think wow. after one That's or two awesome. months, uh, oh, what's what's the name of the company? Well, Go USA, I think was a distributor mm -hmm. in the US. Uh, and they bought it. So so it was like, okay, how do we, what do we do now? Like, we, we didn't even know how to deliver right. a movie. <laughs> uh, and they were <laughs> complaining, you know, back and forth, like, what is this file size? What's the problem with this codec? They thought they probably think, thought they were buying a film from a you know like a real studio, but it was just you know mm -hmm. three losers in a basement. So so <laughs> so that was that, and then we just continued to uh, bring them out. Butterworth's Cold being our second film with uh, you know like five thousand mm -hmm. US dollars in budget. So, wow. so we never even attempted to get a. Uh, you know, financial backing elsewhere. We just thought like, okay, we can do this on our own. And that got you hungry to start just trying to make more films and sell more films and like that. Yeah, exactly. Very uh, cool. So, um, but, you know, to wrap that part of the story up, uh, by, the, by the time we've done our third film, uh, we did one in our own native language, Swedish. Uh, uh, we, we actually had it in the like a small theater run here. Uh, but, you know, overall, we sold to a lot of countries, but we never came over that gap of like, oh, okay, now we have uh, a couple of million, so we can, you know, I'm talking Swedish right. currency. Like, let's say we had made back 500,000 US dollars. Then we really could, you know, get a ball rolling, continue to do what we do. But we felt like, okay, we don't earn enough to just work with this so it was kind of a hard time but then uh, we were very lucky to have a, a fan in, in craig solar that uh you know uh asked uh, dallas to bring us on board so 
Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So you were ma- you made a feature film for $5,000 and was able to sell it. So what are the keys to... Because those movies don't look that low budget at all. What are the keys to making a low budget movie look way more expensive than it really is? Mm, mm. I think you just have to... I mean, today you can never... You can obviously never compete with a, you know, a film shot on red, or, you know, these expensive red cameras or, uh, uh, you know, multi-million dollar project where they use, uh, you know, uh, you know, great tools for lighting, all that stuff. So you have to come up with, mm-hmm. you know, your own style, first of all, and just look at all the tools available because you can do so much in post these days. Uh, it's a classic, you know, right. notion of like, let's just fix it in post, but you really can fix a lot of things in post. And I think just uh, develop, uh, you know, keen eye for design, an overall look of a film. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, if you look at a YouTube video, uh, you know, a skateboarding video or whatever, it, it's not supposed to look like film. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's just real life things that are happening on screen. But if you look right. at, a, you know, a Hollywood production or, a, you know, your favorite scary movie, you look at that and think like, uh, why does this look so much different? Why does this look like a, you know, almost a, like a dream state? Uh, but you just have to pick pick it apart and think like, okay, why did you use this mm. color? You know, all of that stuff and just trial and error. So I think you can get away with yeah. a very cheap budget if you're willing to put in the hours. Uh, but yeah. It, well, it yeah, sounds it like it's a matter of embracing the aesthetic, if you shoot a low budget movie and it might not be the best camera, yeah. but it has a certain aesthetic, embracing that aesthetic and using it kind of to your advantage, it sounds like that really is helpful. Exactly, exactly. Because you can never, you, you, your film will never look like the Avengers. It will never look like that because everything is CGI <laughs> uh, in those movies. Uh, right. They have they have a certain look, but then you look at, you know, like The Dark Knight, for example. It looks completely different than mm-hmm. Avengers. Uh, but you right. know, for, for the average consumer, you would think like, I don't know, there's no difference between them. It's just people are running around on screen. But if you look close enough, you know, you can see a ton of differences. So, yeah, I think it's cause Nolan shoots on film. Yeah. I think that he, I think he shoots on he film. He shoots on film. Yes. So yeah, that's what I thought. And it's, you can always tell the difference. Plus he's building real sets. Yeah. And he, and he tries to shoot, you know, on location. He, tries to shoot on real sets. Uh, and I think he uses, you know, his uh, costume made uh, uh, color grading techniques. Not that he's color grading it, but, you know, he's working closely with all these elements. I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the same team he's working with, uh, you know, works in every movie he makes. So it's a sort it's, yeah, it's, it's again, like, you know, finding your own style and just try to maximize that. Uh, yeah, uh, we've 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 actually tried to you know change up our styles uh, throughout the years, but we always come back to a certain type of you know editing and color grade, and just that's who we are. I don't think that's gonna to have a consistency. Yeah. Exactly. So it's I and like it's a better, signature. Exactly. So it's, I think it's better yeah. to polish what you have, and uh, better than that than to just you know try to achieve something that's just not in you. Yeah, I've seen that with a lot of <laughs> No, I've seen that with a lot of low budget, particularly horror movies. They're fighting against their budget so much and they're trying to overly maximize production value. Yeah. 
and that you can just tell that they're trying so hard with the way that some of the sets look and it just comes across as awkward. Whereas if they just embrace like, okay, it's low budget. We have to strip certain things out. We need to make it look a certain way, but just embrace that low-fi look of a movie, I think that that can work to your advantage versus trying to fight the fact that your budget is so low. I mean, yeah, you do have to Absolutely. maximize budgets you know, as much as possible, but you, there's a real fine line, and I see it with some low-budget horror movies, and they're just you can't take them seriously because they're fighting against their own budget so much. Absolutely. And I think you know, yeah. there's a lot of uh, great color grades out there, but if all the other elements are off or you know, if it just doesn't come together, it will feel like, okay, like you said, it feels like you just slapped on a, a few filters, and it will feel yeah, like plastic or or I don't know, I can't find a good word for it. But, uh, yeah, no, I know what you mean though. It just looks, they just these movies just look fake. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean, uh, we discussed it a thousand times. You know, Tommy, me, and David just go back and forth every day on text if we can't see each other uh, these days, and we often t- talk about uh, what works and what not, and and. And the weird thing is, if you, if you have a great story, it's, it's the most cliche thing to say, but if your story is not you know, interesting, if you don't like your characters, it's not going to matter. You can, we've seen some you know, gigantic uh, blockbuster movies with $200 million budget just isn't that particularly fun to watch. And uh, if, if you compare them side to side, let's say let's say Avengers Infinity War, just, just take that impossible to make movie. You know, we have like 40 characters coming together uh, and you have to like mm-hmm. them all. You have to like every story beat. Uh, and then you take a film that doesn't work and you compare them side by side and you, you can't understand. I can't dissect it. I mean, it will take you know weeks to just discuss why this doesn't work. And, uh, and it all comes down to the story in the end, you know, and, and how they build their characters, which is super hard to yeah. do. But uh, you can have all the CG or practical effects in the world. If, but if it's not fun to watch, it's just a waste of your time. So that's, I think that's, it's uh, sometimes that challenge can feel, you know, too big uh, to even try. But at the same time, uh it really says something that, you know, low budget horror can also be, you know, really fun and uh, uh, worth a watch. You don't have to always look at the budget. So I guess yeah. that's good for us, you know, sorry yeah. asses. Yeah. yeah, I feel like horror is particularly good for low budget because you can get away with so much. But I remember reading that you had said that if you're doing something low budget, one of the most important parts is to have good actors. Yeah. If you have a really, really low budget, how are you able to get really good actors involved? Because obviously the the talent fee can eat up a budget and there's a lot of cases mm-hmm. where directors will have deals with actors where they will be able to get them interested in the movie without having to pay their normal fee. But exactly. they get something out of it because they're showcased. I mean, how have you been able to attract such quality actors to your more low budget movies? <laughs> Let's say for our third film, uh, Wither, uh we, we talked to a few that were well-known in Sweden and we said like, this is what we have. This is what we can pay you. But what we, we, what we do different is we, you will have, you know, a great time on set and you will be able to have a lot of, you know, saying in your character. So, so that's what you're fishing with. So, I mean, if, if I mm-hmm. go in and say like, Hey, I'm the director of this, you got to listen to me, blah, blah, blah. Then you're, you're gonna, you know, they, they're never going to like you. I think that's, 
it comes with so much. Uh, you you have to become a friend with them, basically. Uh, they have right. to, and and that's always been our goal. With you know, if you can't pay the actor. If they don't go home and say, hey, these guys were great to work with, I can really recommend them. We have failed on our part. You can just feel down when you think about that because you, you understand that, okay, I'm never going to get that thing I want from this because I have to work around all these elements. And if you can't find particularly good actors, let's say that scenario, uh, I think you have to write, <clears throat> think about that into the story. Like, like you said, if you're shooting with a low-budget camera, you shouldn't think like, um, he, this guy who's never been on camera before is going to act like Robert Downey Jr. because he can't. So, <laughs> so maybe right. maybe he maybe he can be you know a mute. I don't know. Maybe he can wear a helmet the whole damn movie. I don't know. Just work around that. You know, everything <laughs> has to be a workaround, uh, and you have to be creative. Yeah. Again, if the I mean the viewers not going to think like, what's wrong with this guy? If if they like the story overall, so um, right. So it's not a workaround. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So let's talk about Mystery Box. You are. Dist- it looks like you're 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 premiering it on YouTube exclusively. What made you want to go with YouTube? Uh, I don't know laziness, maybe. Nah, but uh, it, it's just a short story. So <laughs> so uh, after Puppet Master, we had been you know. When we were done with that after like nine months of work on that, uh, I had been on parents' leave for a while. We felt like, okay, we need to do something. We can't just sit around for you know six to eight months doing nothing. Um, so mm-hmm. we prepared this little short. So we shot it in May last year. Uh, and uh, it was Tommy and David that came up with a story about a box and, uh, you know, that uh, a woman finds and... Uh, it's a simple concept. Uh, a woman finds, uh, you know, a box in her fishing net, and she's like, "What is this junk? I just, I have to take it with me because, you know, it's a, uh, it's rusty metal. It shouldn't be in the water." Uh, but then, you know, later same night, uh, someone knocks on the door, and uh, she finds the metal box outside her cabin, where she stays, and she can't get rid of it. So, and uh, I won't spoil what happens because it's like ten minutes long, but. It's, it's a simple concept, and we just wanted to. Again, we. I mean, she's a she's a talented, uh, great actress, uh, Lisa Henny. She's been uh, in a number of things here in Sweden. Uh, but uh, that was one of those things. Like, okay, we had a new camera. We had, uh, uh, you know, we found a great location, almost for free, all that stuff. So we wow. so we shot the film for around two thousand dollars, and. Right. Yes, so so we had a really fun week. Uh, we just we just wanted to come off the stressful time that was Puppet Master and just shoot something very slowly, uh, just very much on our own ter- terms. So uh, we edited it in like two months, and then we just sent it out to a lot of festivals. So it wa- it had its so called world premiere on Nightmares Film Festival, I think it was called. Okay. Uh, so after that, we felt like, okay, let's, let's uh, you know, just show it to everyone in April. So that's one of those projects we want to uh, hopefully expand on in the future. So I really want to, you know, everyone to go watch it on YouTube. I mean, it's free. It's 10 minutes. If you're a horror fan, you should, uh, cool. you should at least uh, get some entertainment out of it. So 
Yeah, definitely. And I'll definitely make sure the link is, uh, is available to everybody. Yeah, awesome. Fantastic. Cool. So as a, as an established feature director, you're still returning to shorts, which is, I think it's some people do and some people yeah. don't. And it seems like shorts are a great way to kind of keep, it sounds like in, in some cases it's a great way to just kind of keep your directorial energy mm-hmm. going, like between projects, Hey, we're directors, we can't really turn it off, but we don't necessarily want to do a feature right now, so let's let's do a short. It seems like a good way to just kind of stay sharp, hmm. but also a good way to test out concepts for movies on a, on a smaller scale. Hmm. But um, are shorts something that you recommend directors constantly keep doing? Is it, is it a good way to just kind of maintain your directorial sensibility? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I once had a guy who was... Uh, Oh, what's it called? It was just a background, background guy. Uh, and mm-hmm. he, 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 he contacted me afterwards. And he was like, please read my, you know, script for something, for a scene or whatever. And I was like, sure, absolutely. And I read it and it was horrible. Uh, and I said to him, like an advice, like <laughs> write a short story every week for a year. Just just write it because you will see like, you know, the first story you write and the 52, 52nd story you write. It's going to be vastly different. Just try to, you know. Hmm. Uh, so, so I think you know, we've done a lot of, you know, super crappy shorts in our days. Uh, I think we we started out, you know, doing one one horror short uh, every weekend for years when we were like 15 years old. Wow. So, but it, it was total crap. You know, you just shot it and it was done in the camera. Uh, and then a few years later, you know, I think you have to work. You work your way up. You know, uh, through your, you know, a knowledge ladder, so to speak. So, uh, I think some some young filmmakers make the mistake of, you know, doing, you know, it's too ambitious from the start. Like, okay, we're gonna have a green screen. Our first attempt at shooting something just a green screen. We're gonna have fifteen actors, uh, and they quickly become this, you know, producer role instead of being creative all the time. So. Hmm. I really recommend, you know, just bombing away a couple of minute shorts, just trying out, you know, everything. Because there's so much. Once you learn something in film, you always have it with you for the rest of your life. But if you don't know what you're doing, it's going to be crap every time. So, right. so it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing to shoot films. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. No, I feel like that's great advice, though, to write a story every single week. And then you just – it forces you to, to kind of hone your storytelling skills. And like you said, particularly with low budget and horror filmmaking, the story – if the story's not yeah. good, the whole thing just goes completely and totally to hell. So that's – I'm going to remember that, man. I'm going to start writing stories. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean it can be – I mean there's a lot of – I think we've – I've found some old you know scripts uh, on our old computers over the years like, oh, did we write this? And I found a – short story concept that we we were very close to shoot but i don't know i don't know what happened to it but it's like okay who cares it was just it was it felt like a waste of time when you look back at it like oh we didn't do anything with this but you know every day is a wasted day basically uh there's there's we have so much time where we just you know go out to have a drink or whatever, watch a movie, goof around. Like uh, I watched a lot of, you know, inspirational videos over the year, over the years, uh, just thinking about like, what do I want to do with my time? Mm. So to be creative for me, that's, that's the best thing I can do. So, 
you have to remember, I mean, if, if you're just being creative to, you know, to be better at something and it doesn't feel rewarding, then you maybe you should do something else. But uh, yeah, uh, to us, the struggle has always been, you know, more satisfying than the than the hurdles to overcome. So Very cool. Yeah. So what is it like having a director partner? You guys obviously have been collaborators for a long time. What are the keys to having a successful collaboration with another director? Uh, fight all the time and hate hate on each other <laughs> every day. Now, now, <laughs> now I think I, it's a hard thing to think about. I, I've known Tommy since I was five years old. So I've been extremely wow. lucky to have uh, you know, a friend over the years, you know, just supporting each other. And I think, mm -hmm. especially Tom and me, we're very, you know, we, th we, th we think so much. Uh, we're so, oh, what's the, what's the gap that we're, we're not different from each other. The other we're the other way around. Uh, so <laughs> similar. So, you know, uh, yeah, we're very similar to each other. Uh, when you think about like what, what kind of scenes we like, you know, what kind of styles we like. Uh, uh, when, when I ask him, like, okay, did you like this movie? Uh, his answer will be my future answer if I haven't seen it yet. It's, I've never come up with it. Yeah, it's, that's weird. It's, a, you know, like a, like a brother. So, so uh, but, but his style of directing is more, I, I often jokingly says that he's like a George Lucas. Like, he says, like, it's in the script. He, the actors doesn't need direction. It's, it's in the script. It's right there. And I'm <laughs> so I'm more. So we kind of developed a style over the years where he tries to you know direct the action or get the timing down or you know he, he uh, in the start when we shot our first film we just bounced the camera back and forth like let me film this shot. Uh, mm -hmm. But obviously that doesn't lead to any you know consistent framework or you know how, how you frame right uh, so after a while we just let tommy do all the shooting i just i just shoot uh, a couple of shots for fun uh just to know i can still do it so so <laughs> uh, i often talk to the actors before a scene like okay this is how you feel this is what's going to be like and then i just watch from afar um Mm -hmm. While Tommy is more close up, he, I mean, he looks through lens and he he sometimes doesn't see what the actors are doing, but more of like, like, how is the speed of things? Like, uh, this is going to flow good. Uh, and I and I just look yeah. at their expression. So it's kind of like we divide it up like that. But, you know, in the end, especially if it's a dialogue scene or whatever, you know, you can just look at it and like, I can say like, okay, can we can we do this better? I'm kind of lost right now. I, I can't see what, what's wrong or what's good. And then he can step in like, no, nah, yeah. I think this and this. And, you know, just a background analysis. So I think it works really well. Uh, I think you, you, you can feel very much left out uh, or, you know, feel alone as a director. And uh, it feels like every decision you're making is just, you know, one step further to a catastrophe. Sometimes it feels like uh, <laughs> if you're not working with a really, really talented actor, which we did, right. uh, uh, which we did on Puppet Master, fortunately. So, uh, 
But having another director helps you shoulder that burden with somebody else, and it probably makes it a little bit less intimidating because Ex- you have two minds on something. Exactly. Which is, and it's that it sounds super smart that you both do completely different things while you're on set, so you're not it, it necessarily overlapping. Exactly. It sounds like that's where conflict starts. Exactly. Whereas, like, it's it's very complementary if you're both doing different things. Exactly. So, so uh, I'm cool. more of a bystander in that regard, and and you know, especially when we're shooting our own stuff, like. Tommy often jumps in on David's, uh, you know, work. Like it can be special effects, or okay, we need to solve this and this, or you know, hide a tube, or and then they ask me like, can you can you make this go away in post? Uh, so so it's that jumping oh, right, back and you forth can... all the time. Yeah, very yeah. cool. So there, when it comes to filmmaking and directing and storytelling and writing, there's so many resources out there. There's so many books and courses and how-to guides. Uh, a lot of it is bullshit because it's written by people who've never done it. Yeah. But for you in your career, have there been any resources or, or books that have been particularly helpful for you, either as a director, a writer, an artist, anything that's not- that's been notably helpful for your career? Uh, I, I've always... Uh watched uh, the site videocopilot.net uh there's this guy called andrew kramer who who is uh, narrating uh they're all they're you know free, free to watch tutorials online uh, they have a lot of you mm-hmm. know they've developed a lot of plugins some are free some some cost some money but they're pretty cheap uh he yeah, i've used them before yeah yeah and and when he when he talks about effects he's he's just a very talented uh, person that that embraces not just the effect from one angle. Like you, you just like you said, if you if they say like do exactly like this tutorial, do exactly these steps to uh, you know achieve this type of effect, it's it often doesn't work because your shot will work differently, or you know lighting is off, or there's always some problem like, okay, I, I don't, I can't follow this anymore. This tutorial is useless to me now. Right. Uh, but uh, video copilot guys, they've always, you know, try to make it fun and try to talk around the effects. Like wh- why do we do this? Why is this plugging helpful? And how can we, how can we achieve this, uh, you know, look by five different techniques? So you get the idea and, and you start to develop your own. I mean, they're obviously mm. a lot smarter than me. Than me when it comes to that, uh, you know, those solutions, but uh, uh, helps you understand, you know, the, because if, if you think of, let's say, effects, uh, they all have the same uh, base work. Like you're making something, you want to make something disappear or appear in frame. That's the only thing you're right. doing, uh, basically. Uh, so once you get, you know, that thinking starting, you start to understand like, okay, this effect is done this because of this. Hmm. You can start to, you know, put the pieces together. Instead of telling you, it gives you a framework. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, sometimes uh, uh, for Wither, there was an effect where, you know, the eyeballs are like, you know, turning upside down, like disappearing inside our head. It's all, it's just a video co-pilot, mm-hmm. copy-paste, basically. Uh, we're working yeah. extremely well. Uh, so, so, uh, yeah, they're. I mean, free to watch online. Great, great personalities. I know Andrew Kramer has worked on Star Episode Seven and you know Star Trek and stuff like that. So oh, he's, he's cool. fantastic. So, 
And then there's a lot of free, you know, YouTube these days, you can just Google and, uh, you know, try to try to be better at searching, like, see, see very fast, like, okay, this tutorial isn't for me, you know, like, just skip ahead, like, um, so, um, but it's, uh, yeah, you ha I think filmmakers need to understand that they have to put in the hours, they can't, I, th I think right. we were at a, at our peak. I think I I put in four or five hours a day, every day. So all all year long, uh, I never had a day off. Like just work, 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 work. But uh, so yeah. you have to go get back to that. Like, okay, is this fun? Uh, is this fulfilling to mm -hmm. me? If it's not, then it's becoming a burden, and you you start to think about like, why am I not making any money? All that kind of stuff. So, right. Yeah. Right. So. Great. So, is there anything new that you and Tommy are working on right now? Uh, I was reading about, um, what is it called again? Hang on. I have a note. It's not evil dead. It's haunted evil dead. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's actually the Indian release of, uh, uh, wither. Oh wow! So, yeah. So I thought it was wither cause it looked like I read, I read both. Yeah. It was, it looked like it was the exact same plot. Okay. Exactly. It's it's their own, you know, it's their own version of it, the title. So we had no control over it. But it's fun to, you know, release oh, release it all over the place. I mean, we're not going to see a dollar from that, but it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it was just fun to try it's out. Funny one time. Yeah. Thanks a lot. This was a lot of fun. Any yeah, cool. um, any parting advice for aspiring filmmakers who want to do what you do? Mm. Uh, I think you just, uh, first of all, most important thing is to have fun. And most important thing is to, mm. to find people to share that fun with. So you're, you don't feel alone and, uh, you don't sit around in your basement. Uh, yeah. and then, uh, like I said earlier, start small, you know, so fun, share that with someone and start small. Uh, it might feel like, you know, uh, useless at first, or you know, you're not getting anywhere. But like I said, you know, sh shoot one short a week, no matter how bad it is, and, and start yeah. to you know develop your own style and your own ideas. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of work. Uh, and if you think like, oh my god, five years is such a long time to develop, uh, you know, those skills, then maybe you should uh, go to school instead, <laughs> so or something. So. <laughs> But I think, I mean, right. there's so many people out there with, uh, you know, amazing ideas. So, but, but um, I, I, th and I think the classic thing is they don't want to fail, but if you don't try, you will already fail. So you have to try. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Sounds great, man. Thank you again. And uh, really, really great meeting you. I'm a big fan and uh, really looking forward to seeing what you guys do next. Yeah. I'm super, you know, appreciated. Cool. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks again. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you. Talk to you later. All right, so lots of big insights from Sonny. So as always, I'm going to dive into my key takeaways for aspiring horror filmmakers from my conversation with Sonny Laguna. Number one, embrace your limitations. Sonny's first few films were extremely low budget. 
between five and 10,000. And they had a stripped down and gritty lo-fi look to them, which really worked in their favor because it gave the movies a signature style and energy. So while it's important to maximize your production value, it's also important not to constantly fight your film's budget. We've all seen those low-budget movies that pretend to be high-budget movies, and the result is a movie that's campy and disjointed and just kind of pathetic looking. It's better to polish what you have in front of you than to work in vain to maximize a production value that you simply do not have. The lo-fi look works particularly well for horror because it feels more realistic. The best example of this is in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Number two, write a short story every week. This is a piece of advice that Sonny gives frequently to directors and screenwriters who want to sharpen their ability to tell stories. Bad scripts are often caused by a lack of storytelling ability, so writing a story every week is a way to get bad story ideas out of your system while sharpening your storytelling skills. So start writing. Number three, start small. A lot of filmmakers have big, elaborate script ideas and complicated storylines, which can be damn near impossible to make, especially when it's your first movie. While it's important to dream big, oversized and overly complicated projects can inhibit creativity because they overwhelm the director. In the beginning, the most important thing is getting a project wrapped and under your belt. Sonny recommends making films with what you have immediate access to. Robert Rodriguez and Kevin Smith did exactly this with their first films. So start small and gradually work your way upwards towards bigger projects. Number four, find a complementary director. Sonny and Tommy both have similar sensibilities, but different skill sets and different areas of focus. This is what makes them such a great director team. Sonny typically works with the actors, while Tommy focuses on the technical aspects of directing. This is the key to their successful partnership, having a simpatico sensibility, but different areas of focus. This enables you to maximize the efficiency of your collaboration while preventing conflicts. Anyway, guys, thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, it would mean the world to me if you could share it with your friends and family on social media. You can follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. We scare because we care. Yeah.